Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. We would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri and the Bimurong people of the Kulin Nation, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast and live. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations people listening to this broadcast. We recognise their unceded sovereignty and that treaty was never signed. In the lead up to World Refugee Day and World Refugee Week, we're going to be speaking to two guests in relation to the rights of LGBT refugees and people that are seeking asylum. You are listening to Queer in the Air on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen to us live 855am and also on digital. At three o'clock, we're going to be having Aslan, who is a queer Muslim refugee, an advocate for queer and POC Muslim refugee and asylum seekers, a recent playwright this year with Queer Asians Anonymous, and recently co-organised Queer Ifta for isolated queer Muslims, and now co-organising an event called Invisible Voices, which is happening next Saturday, the 29th of June from 4pm. Later on in the program at 3.30, we'll be speaking to Tina Dixon. Tina has done research on queer refugee women, their rights, experiences, and what is happening for them in Australia. Tina Dixon is a queer feminist academic and a policy professional and has worked in LGBTIQ refugee and women's rights both in Australia and overseas. And their PhD is about the lived experiences of queer refugee women. And they also are a co-founder of the peace support and advocacy group called Queer Sisterhood Project. And later on this year, they're convening the inaugural Queer Displacements Conference, which will be happening in November, in fact, November 14 and 15. I'd like to play a song for you first, Abra with Fade to Black. listening to 3CR's Queer in the Air and we're going to be speaking about the lived experiences and the rights of queer refugees and asylum seekers here in Australia and what it means to them in the lead up to World Refugee Day and World Refugee Week. In the studio we have the pleasure of having Aslan, a queer Muslim refugee and advocate for queer POC, Muslim refugees and asylum seekers and they're going to be speaking to us about an event that's happening Saturday the 29th of June called Invisible Voices and this is an event that elevates and puts a focus on the voices of queer refugees and asylum seekers. Aslan, welcome to 3CR's Queer in the Air. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me here. Tell us a little bit about the event. Why don't we start with that first and why it's important to have the event Invisible Voices why it's important to elevate the voices of people who usually don't have a voice and are usually silenced by mainstream media. I've been on your show before and we've spoken about like intersectionality. So we're talking about the intersecting uh, experiences, uh, privilege and also oppression of uh, people of colour. So refugees are mostly usually people of colour. Mm-hmm. So what we found is that being refugee and being queer hasn't really been discussed as much as well. Like people may not have a, a big understanding of that. So, like in fact, um, June is 
is where people celebrate World Refugee Day, which is June twentieth. But June is also Pride Month, so it was it's an intersection of of uh, refugee and queer experience there. So, me and Tracy were actually discussing where we found that there wasn't any LGBT refugee or asylum seeker uh, centered events uh, included in the Refugee Week event. So we thought that maybe we try to do something for for our community. Tell me in a broader sense what the lived experience of refugees and asylum seekers is. Once they're in Australia, what is it like for them? Obviously, my understanding is that they still face challenges once they're in here, even though they have fled their country of where they've been receiving persecution. But what happens once they arrive here? Actually, it depends on everyone. Like, everyone has got their own personal issues, but it's it's really hard, to be honest. For those that come by themselves without family, it's even harder because you're trying to fit in trying to cope, trying to deal with your emotional well-being and um, financial. You're, you're trying to not be on the streets, homeless, well, they call it. So it's it's kind of overwhelming. So, yeah, and to know what services and where to find them um, are all the challenges you can find. And it seems like a lot of the, those experiences are intertwined with the isolation that happens within the communities here and then when you look at that further in another minority when you're queer as well that you end up being in this other minority as well and being isolated and and othered by what is usually a very cis white queer community what about for you Aslan? what's the broader issues for the lived experiences of people who are refugees and seeking asylum especially if they're queer i think the experiences of queer refugees is is covered under the experience of like most asylum seekers and refugees as well, is that you have a people who are just trying to survive, you know. But because the issue of asylum seeking and refugees is so politicized in Australia, you really can't just do your job. I mean, just just live your life in a way because mm-hmm. it's so politicized. I mean, everything that that you want to do is, is scrutinized, and what's happening is that. You have to be exceptional, like you have to be an exceptional refugee or an asylum seeker. Your situation has to be really, really terrible and despairing. Or and then you also have to be a very successful person to be kind of accepted. Where else there's a lot of diversity within um, people who are seeking asylum and refugees, you know. Um, and we should be also all of us should be recognized for our struggles and also our humanity. And yet the conversation is limited to to what the politicians and the media people make it out to be. And it sounds like it's got a very tokenistic and pathologizes bodies of refugees and asylum seekers. Some people call it inspiration porn. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you're such an inspiration for coming here. And in a pre-interview that I did with Tina Dixon, she was saying things like, you know, you should be happy now that you're here in Australia, you know, mm. you should be happy. And it's always like these stories objectify the experiences yeah. of people who are seeking asylum or are refugees and Anyway, your thoughts. What are your thoughts on that particular comment? I think the queer ref- experience is similar to to the migrant experience as well, but even more so that you have this sense of you know you have to have a sense of gratitude and that you're supposed to succeed because people have this idea that maybe everything was given to you already. Well, else there's still a lot more other issues like you know systemic issues that folks are still struggling with. What happens is when you do tokenize some of the more successful refugees. And those who are not as successful or are still struggling are kind of seen as something wrong with them. 
so you kind of individualize the problem rather than saying that the host community actually has a responsibility as well to accept and help these people resettle themselves, but that's not really happening. In relation to that, like what can communities do to assist people in queer spaces especially and the way queer refugees and asylum seekers are able to move throughout queer communities? What can white queer community here in Melbourne, what can they do to assist? I think the situation is, again, similar to other marginalised folks in a sense that there needs to be an understanding of intersectionality and it's not just surface understanding. It's actually a lot more. And when you talk about people who are seeking asylum and refugees, again, it's a, it's a diverse group. So there are people who are probably facing issues like class and race and religion. And what happens is when you have a tokenized version is that it's only a select few who are kind of like seen as the example of this group. And when that's not the case, what folks can do is obviously understand there's a, different, there's, a, there's a diversity of people and that you should afford them the same kind of uh, access to all, you know, all these different people. And it feels like there is definitely a potential for access to resources and community can be quite diminished when you are put in this other category and the acceptance and the continual racism and discrimination that happens within most communities, but especially in queer communities as well. When we were discussing off-air about this interview, we were talking about, you've already touched on this, you have to be exceptional, but there's also the thoughts of being a minority group and the whitewashing as well. And you brought up the, the 1951 Refugee Convention. Can you expand on how that applies to this topic of discussion for queer refugees and asylum seekers? I mean, the most basic thing about the Refugee Convention is that Seeking asylum is not illegal, but mm. politicians and the media has kind of like changed that narrative to make it sound as if it's an illegal thing. It doesn't it doesn't mention in the convention of how, you know, how a person arrives in a country seeking asylum. It doesn't matter how whether it is by boat or by plane or whatever. Everybody mm. is is allowed to seek asylum. That's yeah. that's the that's the whole point. And in your opinion, why is it being so politicized? Most people are fleeing persecution. The issue is, I mean, like Australia is founded upon the genocide and disposition of, uh, of Aboriginal people. So it's just continuation of that where um, this colonial power is trying to maintain their, their, you know, again, their power authority over this country. So they're making it the issue of it's about borders when it's not. What's funny is that there should be avenues for them to kind of like solve the issue, I suppose, but they've made it, you know, because they're focusing on, on, on borders and, and, and law, uh, they're persecuting, like punishing the wrong people instead. Because if they were really serious about dealing with this issue, they should be finding a way to kind of combat the the, the boat sm- the, the the people smugglers, the boat you know the people who run the boats instead. But instead, they're not actually doing anything towards that. You know, they're focusing on on the asylum seekers instead. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they've already mentioned that offshore detention is a deterrence. They're spending way more on offshore detention than they are. Mm-hmm people in community detention. So it, it actually doesn't make sense. So it's a, a totally a political thing. Yes, Australia is continuing its ongoing settlement here in Australia yeah. of its First Nations people and ongoing colonisation. And that is obviously spreading into every other policy and portfolio that they hold here in Australia. Can we discuss the event? It is co-hosted or in conjunction with Democracy in Colour. Yeah. Um, are you able to tell us a little bit about the work that organisation does? Well, Democracy in Colour is the first national racial justice organization, so which is led by people of color. Um, 
and their purpose is obviously to address all the systemic issues that affects people of color, is to um, elevate people of color, uh, the political power of people of color, to run campaigns and address those racial injustice or racial inequities. Some of the stuff that they've done recently is they did campaigning for the Victorian state election, for the federal election, where we tried to get voters to not vote politicians who use uh, racial fear-mongering, uh, racial scapegoating. Some of the more recent projects that we're, uh, Democracy in Cali has started is POC placements, where we've looked for partnerships with our organizations to place young people of color in placements with this organization for 10 months, I think, to provide training. Uh, is it like a mentor- mentorship or something? A little bit like that, yeah. 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 But, so it's a, a, but it's a paid placement as well. So you get to work like, I don't know, two or three days uh, with the training of working in that organization and yeah. hopefully maybe uh, employment within that organization or something or organization similar to that one. The other co-host is the Refugee Council of Australia as well. So, yeah. Unpack a bit about what the event is, uh, who the speakers are, who are happy to be named, and what sort of things are going to be discussed, and sort of the format of the particular yeah, event. So, yeah. like Tracy is obviously one of the speakers, Tracy. and Tina Dixon will be making an appearance. We've also got uh, Lu Jang Horani, who is a Palestinian refugee, a queer Palestinian refugee. She'll be speaking um, as as well as performing, and there are a few other an- anonymous. I'm saying I can't name them at this point. They'll be sharing as well. We're hoping it to be like a community uh, event in a sense that we're coming together, we're sharing our experiences with foremost with other community members. Allies can come, obviously, and they also have a uh, a part to play as well because later on uh, we'll have a segment where we're going to have a community discussion about how we address the issues that impacts queer asylum and refugees. For example, like the status resolution uh, support services cuts that asylum seekers are facing, you know, things like that. If people want to get more information, they can head to Democracy in Colour for more information and also the Refugee Council of Australia. Yeah, I mean, it's called Invisible Voices, LGBT+, plus uh, Refugees and, and People Seeking Asylum. The event is happening next Saturday, the 29th of June, 4pm onwards at 673 Burke Street in Melbourne. Aslan, thank you so much. I hope the event goes really well for you and everyone else involved. Thank you so much. And that was Aslan and Tracy speaking about the event coming up next week called Invisible Voices. We also unpacked a little bit more about the experiences of queer refugees and asylum seekers, what that means in the context of World Refugee Day and the broader issues that present challenges for people seeking asylum in Australia and the humane and ethical treatment of uh, refugees and asylum seekers. Um, I want to forward announce that we have Tina Dixon joining us as well at about half past three to speak about her PhD research in the lived experiences of queer women who are asylum seekers and refugees. And she's coming up real soon. But first of all, we're going to play a song by Bjork called Declare Independence. Don't let them do that to you. Declare independence. Don't let them do that to you.
You are listening to 3CRs, Queer in the Air, 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming digital and 855am. And you can catch all our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Queer in the Air. And we're about to speak to Tina Dixon. Tina Dixon is a queer feminist academic and a policy professional who has worked in the areas of LGBTIQ refugee and women's rights, both in Australia and overseas and has previously engaged with international human rights bodies such as the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. Tina is also a PhD candidate writing a thesis on the lived experiences of queer refugee women and also is a co-founder of the peace support and advocacy group Queer Sisterhood Project. And later on this year, there is going to be the inaugural Queer Displacements Conference that will be happening in November 14-15. Tina. Welcome to 3CR's Queer in the Air. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And you have been a busy person today, so I really appreciate you joining us this afternoon. We had a pre-interview earlier this week. Well, I suppose a pre-interview, but a discussion because the the topic of queer people seeking asylum and refugees is a large topic and there's so much to unpack there. It's pretty complex. It's not just one particular thing. So I suppose a question that we felt like was really good to start to unpack is in relation to how your PhD research centres around the lived experiences of queer refugee women. Can you tell us a little bit more about this research and why you chose to do this and why it's vital to have this kind of information out there? Yeah, absolutely. The research starts from the premises of the lived experience um, and it also really focused on um, specific gender identity. And the reason for that was because a lot of research is done on um, LGBTIQ refugees does not really disaggregate between all of those different letters within the acronym. And very commonly it is the um, gay men experiences then dominate um, in the narratives or in the research. And for me, it was important to look at other experiences that are not um, that commonly heard. I'm also working through um, the lived experience and start from my lived experience and then do that together with um, other women in the research. And I also felt that I'm only able to speak, you know, through sort of my gender identity on that lens. But it was significant to look into the continuum of the lived experience of queer refugee women from the, from their countries of origin and then to the point of arrival in Australia and further researching what's your community, your identities, questions of belonging, because those conversations aren't happening. A lot of the times in Australia when you are queer and have sort of talent here, people tell you, you must feel so free because you're in this such a wonderful country. And um, that completely forecloses any possibility to actually be critical and to address things like homophobia or racism that are still prevalent. So for me, it's important to look into those experiences as well. We discussed how most conversations on this topic are male-centric and and that's the focus of it. Can you um, explain what that means when you speak about male-centric in this particular instance? Statistically, um, there is more gay men seeking asylum than women, and there are reasons for that because in most of the cases where homosexuality is is criminalized by law in particular countries, it's men who are targeted. Um, And while that may seem, um, you know, sort of good for women, in reality it's not because in in patriarchal context, um, the state doesn't even imagine that women can love women. So women are more invisible. But then also there are very particular gender barriers for women to be able to 
travel on their own, to be able to leave their countries, to be able to have enough money to come somewhere and seek asylum. And in my time in Australia, I've been here for seven years now, more commonly, I've heard uh, men speaking about their um, journeys of queer asylum than women. And um, sometimes even I had people tell me that, oh, there are no queer women who are seeking asylum. And, and that is not simply not true. And I think uh, if we're talking about LGBTIQ community, we have to be recognizing the diversity. This is not a homogenous group. There is a wealth of experiences and identities, and all of them have to be represented in narratives. What happens to refugees and asylum seekers, in particular queer refugees and asylum seekers, once they arrive into Australia and they are fleeing from the country that they're receiving persecution from? In my research, I, I was mostly, mostly focusing on qualitative materials. So I had a group of eight women um, contributing and, you know, we worked together. And unfortunately, and this is a very sobering, um, I guess, data, is that five out of these eight women had suicidal thoughts on multiple occasions while in Australia. Uh, and can I just say... That's okay. I'll just do a, a content warning then, <laughs> if we're going I'm to be sorry. talking. No, that's okay. So just be aware that the continuation of this conversation may have descriptions and discussions that may be distressing to some listeners. We will be discussing self-harm and suicide and perhaps violence against women and violence against refugees and asylum seekers and mental health aspects. So if this is something that is a trigger for you, uh, rejoin us towards the end of the program at 3.55. And if you have any issues, you can call Lifeline on 13 13 14. Please continue. Thank you. Um, yes, the three out of five people had those thoughts because of this constant um, isolation on the one hand. Um, we are not really talking enough about the fact that refugees as a group are not a homogenous group, that people can have different gender identity, sexuality, people can have disability. Um, we're not talking enough about that. We, we keep sort of pushing for that single narrative. Um, then obviously the lack of services being able to meet um, the needs, sometimes homophobia or racism from the services. Um, and all of that leads to that deterioration. And on top, of course, the immigration limbo. Some women in my research have been here for three years and they haven't had an initial interview yet with the Department of Home Affairs. But it's that state where you don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You cannot plan your life because, you know, you're only still here on bridging visa with no future as such. It's such a sense of purgatory, isn't it? So just being in complete limbo, not knowing where you stand and not knowing what your rights are and, and being so it's just underpinned with continued racism, discrimination to, to be placed in this position where you have no idea where you'd be going to next. It's I can't even imagine what that feels like to be in that position. Absolutely, and we also have to account for, for the past, traumas and mm. you know do you have the capacity to heal properly in such settings those questions those questions remain and i think this is why it is really essential that we have conversations like this we have um, events like aslan is organizing in melbourne like the conference that we do here in canberra because it's important that we disrupt those very singular narratives about who can be a refugee or who can be an lgbtq person and actually acknowledge the diversity in our communities. For you, how do you think we can critically analyse and discuss these broader issues that come to surface and 
attaches itself to the humane and ethical treatment of refugees and asylum seekers. Like, what what does the research show? I know off air, Aslan was talking about a particular study called Nothing for Them and Something for Them, and how those dealt with issues that queer asylum seekers and refugees face. What what has been your experience, or what have you found to be? What do you think needs to be unpacked and unstitched? <laughs> and critically analyse in a broader sense in so much as the uh, in relation to the treatment of refugees and asylum seekers? I think in relation to the treatment, we have to actually start from the process of decolonization in this country because mm. until we still privilege, you know, white and straight and able-bodied experiences and treat that as a norm, and anybody else who does not speak English without an accent as a deviation mm. from this norm, we're not going to move forward. So the way how people seeking asylum are treated in this country is also deeply embedded in that colonization that has never finished. We have to be working on those things. But on a very practical level, service providers need better training and professional development to understand their diversity. Decision makers, obviously, in the Department of Home Affairs also need to have that compulsory and going professional development so they're able to assess those claims in a very fair matter without any prejudices. Tina, I'd like to just change gears a little bit. I'd like to speak about the Queer Sisterhood Project. Can you tell us what this project is about and who hangs out there, what things are spoken about and why this particular project is vital? Absolutely. Uh, When I was doing my PhD, I was working with a group of women for about six or seven months. Um, as a part of my field work and we formed really close connections and friendships through that process and then when I was finished with uh, my field work there was a group decision and agreement that we wanted to continue meeting so out of that Queer Sisterhood Project was born. We meet then regularly um, in Sydney on the premises of 2010 and then there is an online support chart for women who are located um, across Victoria, ACT, New South Wales, including also regional areas in all of those states. The idea was simply to be this group where everybody, first of all, shared the lived experience of seeking asylum because of the prosecution, because of their gender identity or sexuality, and also to be this space where, you know, we can help each other with different skills and knowledge sets. For example, last year we organised a workshop on sexual health. There was a real lack of information on sexual health that would be queer-friendly, but also culturally specific. For example, what if somebody has um, FGM done on them? So, you know, but they're a queer woman. How do you navigate those questions? So we've done those things. Currently, we have two grants where we develop a cartoon about what it means to be a queer refugee woman and also um, a brochure that will go out to various service providers. And it's vital to have um, groups like that because there is, sort of these linear relationships, you know, everybody has a similar story, everybody understands each other. You don't have to explain or educate somebody. You can just be safe and free in that moment where you come together as a collective. It's such a sense of solidarity, isn't it? To be able to walk into a room where you know that you're not going to be othered, that you're going to be understood, and you don't have to go through that continual trauma of explaining who you are, what your life is, and what has brought you to the group. I'm making an assumption here, but I'm making the assumption that you can walk in there and go, I'm in a room of people that know who I am, see me and hear me for who I am. Where can people find information on the group and how can they get into contact and and know more about how to get involved? 
actually the best way is to go on my website, which is tinadixononeword.com.au um, and just contact me through there um, and then they'll be added to the WhatsApp um, support chat group um, and then they'll be informed of the next meeting when it is happening. World Refugee Day slash week, we SMS one another a few ideas and thoughts about this. I'd like to know what your thoughts are about World Refugee Day and week and what needs to change in relation to this narrative and what people call a celebratory mm. point of time. Absolutely. I think that um, as an idea, World Refugee Day and week, it's a great way to raise awareness and to have those discussions about how we are treating people who are seeking asylum you know, how we're also constructing the narrative. But very often the focus kind of diverts from that, like you say, towards the celebration where we only want to portray a very particular story of asylum, a story of a successful refugee, but that success also has to be really quantified, you know, like in a very um, sort of capitalist way because, you know, for you to be successful, you have to run the business, things like that. So, you know, we have a very particular image of a refugee we want to put on that stage and we want them to make us tell a story, a story of how they were persecuted and then how grateful they are to Australia. And in those things, I find really problematic because, first of all, there is no space, um, for example, to talk about maybe how hard life, how hard life is in Australia, or maybe that you still miss your home country. And particularly in the context of queer people, you know, to start with, those experiences are almost never on the forefront of discussions during the Refugee Week. They're always sort of those, you know, events on the margins. But also when somebody is queer and they are asked to tell their story. Every time, you always have to say how bad your country of origin was and how great Australia is. So there is lots of processes going on that only create a single narrative that doesn't allow to encompass diversity within the refugee community, but also makes people to deliver very scripted stories that the mainstream, you know, sort of white society wants to hear. And for me, this day must be about, you know, Maybe, yes, celebration of those who have survived, but also commemorations of those whose lives were lost, who were never made it across the sea or, or, you know, from the camp or somewhere in transit. I think we have to really balance that and we have to have this days as a very critical reflection on whether we as a society are really truly inclusive or truly multicultural, not just a blanket statement that, you know, we're just going to celebrate you for a week and then we're going to forget you for another 51 I don't know how else to to agree with you. And then you look at the way that our government is treating asylum seekers and refugees on our offshore detention centres and the treatment of refugees there, but also the mistreatment of queer refugees and asylum seekers mm. in these detention centres. It's absolutely disgusting. And you're right, it's such a tokenistic and objectifying week where for this one week we, in inverted commas, celebrate the experiences and the survival of asylum seekers. And I do like the point that you made that we need to remember those people that did not have the opportunity to be here with us at the moment. So yeah, it needs to be critically analysed and unpacked in the way that we commemorate and observe and acknowledge this particular week and, and this day. What do you think white queers can do to help queer asylum seekers and refugees, especially from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, people from non-white backgrounds. The point that you said that people that speak English with an accent 
what what are the societal changes that can be made within mm-hmm. queer communities, in your opinion? I think there needs to be a lot of education done and queer community has to address racism that can be going on inside. We have to, you know, to educate yourself and have to be, you know, as a queer community, I guess we're striving to be included by, the, by you know, the broader society, but then by the same virtue, we have to be including everybody within the queer community. And then obviously when any advocacy is done, it is important that we know how to be an ethical, I guess, ally to the community. We know that it's important to foreground that lived experience, put it at the center and know that, you know, you're there supporting a person, you're standing next to them, but not speaking on their behalf or instead of them. So I think, you know, we just have to to learn how to support each other in, in very meaningful and in very ethical ways. And sometimes even, you know, practical things help. Like people who are born in Australia, you have all of the knowledge about structures of society, about things like ATO or Centrelink with you from childhood, from your parents through the schools. When you come to the new country, there is a lot of information that you don't even know that it exists. So sometimes there's very practical help is really important and you know going out with somebody for coffee and you know just just being a genuine friend with them those things also help a lot food for thought i never thought of that things that we take for granted from being in a privileged position from being born in this country and you don't even think that those things will present a difficulty for people who haven't been born here who people that speak with English with an accent people that from a cultural and linguistically diverse background yes such a good point I want to talk about the conference that's happening uh, the 14th to the 15th of November in Canberra the Queer Displacements Sexuality Migration and Exile Conference and your call for abstracts which is now open until the 1st of December do a bit of a plug for that particular event so the conference is going to be the inaugural event um, over two days where we hope to bring together practitioners, policymakers, academics and most importantly queer people with the lived experience of seeking asylum to discuss these issues, to map the gaps, to map the needs and to come up together with some coordinated solutions. So as you said, the call for abstracts are open now until September the 1st. We also just started two days ago a crowdfunding campaign um, and we hope to raise $5,000 to pay scholarships to queer people who've been forcibly displaced to attend the conference because my main goal Uh, And I'm doing this conference together with my partner, Renee Dixon. So for us, it's really important that the lived experience is at the centre of the conference. Um, And so we want to be able to bring as many queer people um, who've been displaced as possible. And this conference is for everybody because very often this issue gets to be branded as a very niche. But I think every policymaker, every service provider definitely needs to know about those intersectionalities and they need to be equipped to address those. So we invite um, very diverse audiences to submit their papers. We really invite queer people, queer refugees to um, apply and to, to present, to have you know discussions there. So we hope it's going to be a very interesting two days in Canberra. If you Google queer displacement, um, the link comes up. Um, so it's on the website of the Australian National University. And then a more detailed question for the call for abstracts and emails are all there. People want to get more information with you or to get into contact with you, they can head to tinadixon.com.au. So you can get your research at the same website with a forward slash research to know a little bit more about Tina Dixon's work on the lived experiences of queer women who are refugees and asylum seekers. 
Tina Dixon, thank you so much for joining us on Queer in the Air. It's been a pleasure to have met you over the ether and to speak more about your work. And good luck with the rest of your research and also in November for the conference. Thank you very much for having me today. And that was Tina Dixon, queer feminist and academic in policy and working in the areas of the lived experiences of queer women who are asylum seekers and refugees and her work with her PhD on the experiences of queer refugee women and advocacy and peer support with the Queer Sisterhood Project. And just to back announce the the wonderful interview with Aslan and Tracy in relation to the Invisible Voices event that is happening on June 29th, 2019. You can look that up on Facebook if you type in Invisible Voices, LGBT plus refugees and people seeking asylum. And this event is hosted via Democracy in Colour and the Refugee Council of Australia. There'll be a host of speakers and it's a time for people to come together who are queer refugees and asylum seekers to come together and to speak about their stories and their experiences. Eliza, welcome if there's room. You have been listening to 3CR's Queer in the Air. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Aslan. Thank you to Tracy. Thank you to Ira and Tina Dixon for being in the studio and supporting this wonderful program. And it's been a pleasure to be able to speak about this really important and vital topic. We will have all the information on our show notes on 3cr.org.au forward slash Queer in the Air. And we're going to go out with a song by Black Box. And the song is called Dreamland from their album Dreamland. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.